Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Thanks for checking out the Pint Glass Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, just a guy who likes to drink beer and watch football, so I started a podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow on Twitter and Instagram at PGF Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to take a look at the AFC North team's draft picks, specifically their first two picks, and then grade each team. And back on the podcast to break it down is the host of the upcoming podcast, Split the Uprights, Chad Smith. Hey, what is up, Chad? Hey, Brad. Uh, great to be a part of the Pint Glass uh, Podcast Football again, and uh, excited to continue breaking down the draft and breaking down these teams and uh, giving the each team a grade, which a lot of people do post-draft. And so we're going to break down the AFC North today. Yeah. So, you know, looking at the Bengals draft, obviously picking number one, uh, Joe Burrow, I don't think it was a big surprise. You know, we, we thought that would be the guy. Everybody pretty much thought he'd be the guy and that's who they went with. He's the quarterback at LSU, 6'3", 221, really high football IQ. And I think that's probably his best trait. You know, a guy who can really read defenses, but, you know, he's he's an underrated athlete. I really like how he moves in the pocket. I love his accuracy and his timing. You know, this guy throws really a really nice ball. Not an elite arm, but a really good arm. Good enough, I'd say. Um, you know, just, just a really uh, solid pick for them, for a team that's in rebuild mode. You know, they brought in a new coach last year, and they got rid of Dalton. So this was obviously the move that they needed to make. And going with the consensus number one quarterback in Burrow, I think was the right choice for them. Like I said, he's a guy who has a he checks a lot of boxes. You know, he's got the ideal size that you're looking for. Just was awesome at LSU. I mean, th- he had an historic year. There's no way around it. This guy was really incredible. He played big in the big games as well, which is something that I really love about him. He just has a lot of poise you know, handles the pressure really well. And I think he's going to be a really good player for the Bengals. So it was a good way to start off the draft for them, getting their guy, getting this franchise, you know, hopefully going in the right direction for them. You know, starting out with uh, with Joe Burrow there was definitely not a surprise, like we said. Now, in the second round, the Bengals wanted to go after a guy to help Joe Burrow. So they went after T. Higgins. In the second round from Clemson, wide receiver. He's 6'4", 216 pounds. This is a guy who some people thought might be a late first-round pick, early second. He ended up going right away in the second round there for the Bengals. Things I like about T. Higgins is, you know, with the 6'4 frame, he's a big target wide receiver with a really good catch radius. You know, he's got really great body control, can really make the 50-50 balls look easy. You know, he's got a long frame, just really good overall ball skills. He's a big play guy. You know, he averaged just over 18 yards per catch. So he's a guy who can get chunk yardage for you. He's a really good vertical route runner with decent speed. I wouldn't say elite speed. He's got decent speed though. Now he can struggle versus press coverage, which I think is kind of surprising for a guy his size. You'd think he'd uh, be a little better at handling the press than he does. It's something he's definitely going to need to address at the NFL level when you're dealing with bigger, more physical cornerbacks. He played all three wide receiver slots 
at Clemson, so he did show some nice versatility. He's not an explosive route runner. He gets in and out of his breaks decent, but not not that explosive high-level guy that you would look for maybe at this pick. He ran a very limited route tree at Clemson, which I think is a little bit of a concern. But he is a guy with his size and his ability, like I said earlier, you know, his ability to get up in the air, grab those 50-50 balls, battle with cornerbacks. He's going to be a red zone threat. You know, I think he's a guy that's going to come in and give Joe Burrow a big target in the red zone, and that's probably where his most valuable asset will be for them. He scored on 20% of his catches at Clemson, so he definitely has a knack for the end zone. The one thing I didn't like about this pick was – I think they should have went after Michael Pittman Jr. You know, he was the next receiver taken off the board. I think he's the better player. I think he's the more polished uh, receiver. He runs cleaner, sharper routes, a really smart football player, learned the game from his dad, who was an NFL player for a long time, knows how to study tape. He's also a tougher, more physical wide receiver than Higgins. And for him to go the very next pick to the Colts, I just think they had an opportunity to get him there. I personally had Pittman higher on my board, so I don't love the Higgins pick. Now, I think he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. And I understand going after a receiver there. Personally, I I didn't love it. But if you look at in the third round, they picked Logan Wilson, uh, linebacker from Wyoming. I thought it was a little bit of a reach there in the third. I really like their fourth round pick, Akeem Davis Gaither out of Appalachian State. He's an outside linebacker. I actually thought he was a top five, maybe top six linebacker in this entire class. So I think that was a really good value pick. He's a little bit undersized, played at a small school, you know, so you always wonder if he'll be able to transition to the next level. But I think he's a really good player. You know, overall, I think the Bengals just had a good draft class, not a great class, but I think it was just slightly above average. And that's why I'm giving them a C plus. Brad, I think that's a solid grade. I, I, I question the Higgins pick as well. You and I talked. I had Pittman ranked higher as well. My concern with going wide receiver there, I'm not opposed to it. I'm just trying to figure out, even with A.J. Green at the tail end of his career, you've got Boyd, you've got Ross. I mean, where are you going to put the fourth receiver? Are you banking on the fact that Green's going to get hurt? Maybe you're going to trade Green to give Burrow that weapon. I mean, Burroughs, uh, is he going to be the one-hit wonder? Is he going to be boomer bust like the Joey Harringtons and the Achilles Smiths of the world? Or is he going to come in and is he going to be that franchise top quarterback? Because as you said, they're moving on from Dalton. And so the the timing is now he's going to start opening day just like Kyler Murray did. And so throw him to the Wolves and let him see what happens. But I, I would have taken Pittman, just like you said, over, over Higgins uh, because I think he's the better route runner and he's the better wide receiver overall. But – uh, it's still a good draft by the Bengals. I think they will continue to improve and build on this for next year. And that's going to lead us to the team that we've got ranked third in this, and that's the Browns. And um, I gave the Browns a solid B. I mean, I think when you look at what they're trying to do, they brought in Kevin Stefanski. I mean, they've got John Dorsey there. They've made the trades. They they kind of splashed the pot with Baker at one. I think a lot of people would have said take Darnold there. Then they made the trade for OBJ. Freddie Kitchens, he just didn't need to be an NFL head coach. I mean, so last year is a complete train wreck. But when you look at this draft and what they were wanting to do at 10, who they thought were going to be there, a lot of people thought they may go defense. Probably were thinking that, hey, can a Derrick Brown maybe fall to us at 10? Really had no idea that Isaiah Simmons would be available. So I think when that happened and Brown went seven to Carolina, 
uh, I had said all along that I really and truly thought that they wanted to get offensive line help and give Baker some protection. They want to run the football again with Chubb. They've got a full year now with Kareem Hunt, who's been in the system. So they've got that dual threat at running back, but they need to give Baker protection so that he can hit Landry, can hit Beckham. Uh, I mean, they've got tight end help coming in now with Austin Hooper. So when you look at the 10th pick, four linemen, you had Werfs, you had Becton, you had Wills, and you had Thomas from Georgia. I don't think anybody really had the Giants taking Andre Thomas at four. And when that played out with Brown and Isaiah Simmons coming off the board, that pretty much left the Browns sitting there with Jedrick Wills, who a lot of people arguably had as the number one ranked uh, lineman coming to this class. He's 6'4", 312, pretty much ran a five-second flat 40. He's athletic. He's got great speed. He's a three-year starter from Alabama. He played right and left tackle. He gets to the second level with that aggressiveness pass rush. I think they're going to want to utilize him out in some space. And if you watch the tape on him, he destroyed people in some of those games with some of the blocking he did. Can can he work on his footwork? Can he overextend at times? Yes. But, I mean, with the Browns sitting there at 10, being able to get a guy like that to come off the board, Becton went right after at 11, and then Werfs went 13 to Tampa Bay. So, as we had said, those top four linemen were going to come off the board before the 13th, 14th pick, and that's exactly what happened. So, I really think they got great value getting Wills at 10. And then the second round – the Browns selected Grant Delpit. We had him in our mock draft going in the first round. We had him going to Miami at 26 because we really thought Miami would look at taking a corner. It didn't play out that way, and Delpit fell. He fell to the middle of the second round. And so I think people are going to hold this against him. We spoke about this in the mock draft. If you'd have just taken Delpit after the 2018 season – Probably would have been a top 10, top 15 pick. I mean, he was that good. He had 74 tackles. He had five sacks. I mean, the guy was just a playmaker. In 2019, he suffered that ankle injury, high ankle sprain, and I think it really limited him all year. And so his numbers were down. His film didn't look as good, but he is aggressive. He's athletic. I mean, he's got tremendous upside. I think he fits that need. I mean, I think you could have maybe said maybe go linebacker there because you got Garrett on the front end of that. But when you look at his physical demeanor, he's going to be paired up with Ward. He's going to bring some threat to the back of that team. Every once in a while, he just doesn't have the range that you want. I mean, the speed's there. He ran a solid 40. I mean, so he's he's just an overall tremendous pick for the second round. And then when you look at what the Browns did for the rest of the draft, they were solid. I think a lot of people thought it might have been a little bit of a reach with Jordan Elliott in the third round. He's kind of an athletic, freakish guy on the defensive tackle side, but he's going to be a boomer bust guy. And if he develops and he comes in and can be that player that people saw on film every once in a while from Missouri, then this draft grade with the Browns could significantly go up, including Delpit coming off that high ankle sprain getting back to his 2018 form, the Browns could come out of this and say, hey, we, we've really got a chance to put things together. they got Stefanski on board now. He's going to bring some, some normalcy to this locker room. And I, I think offensively and defensively, the Miles Garrett situation's past the Browns now. And I think they're ready to go into 2020 and make some hay in this AFC North. Yeah, I thought the Browns had a pretty decent draft as well. You know, like you said, I thought their first two picks were pretty solid. You know, Wills being available where they picked, I don't think they saw that happening. 
being able to land a big time tackle, which we talked about on the mock draft was a position they desperately needed. Their O-line really held them back last season. So I think he's going to be a solid plug and play starter for them. And like you talked about with Grant Delpit, you know, we thought he for sure had first round potential. He's definitely a first round talent. You know, he needs to clean up some of the tackling and, you know, things like that, maybe some mechanics things, but a guy with a ton of upside, a really high level athlete. And, you know, like you talked about, had an unbelievable 2018. So to get a guy who's probably got on talent alone, a top 15 type player to get him in the second round, I think was really awesome by the Browns to get a guy like that. So, you know, some, like you said, some of their later picks, uh, maybe they reached a bit, but I think overall they addressed some needs and I think it was a pretty solid bra- uh, draft for the Browns. And so that's going to lead us up to the team that we thought finished second in the AFC North. And that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Steelers didn't have a first round pick this year. If you guys remember, they traded away their first round pick to the Dolphins for safety Minka Fitzpatrick. I have to kind of factor that into this grade a little bit because Fitzpatrick came on to the Steelers roster last season and this guy made an immediate impact. I mean, he became a high level pro bowl level player for them right away and really made that defense scary on the back end and almost carried them to the playoffs with really no help from the offensive side at all. And he was a big reason why I don't think Xavier McKinney or Delpit or, you know, any of these other safeties that would have been available there. I I don't think any of them are going to project to be what Minka Fitzpatrick has been for the Steelers. So I think in that regard, they definitely won that trade. I think it was a smart move by them. And in the second round is where they first got their first pick. And they went with wide receiver Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame. This guy is six foot four, 238 pounds, and ran a 4.4240 yard dash. Now, to put that into perspective, the only other wide receiver in the NFL Combine's history that was 6'4, 235 pounds or bigger that ran a sub 4.4540 yard dash is Calvin Johnson. That's it. The only other guy. Now, I'm not saying Chase Claypool is going to be Calvin Johnson, but I just wanted to put that in perspective of just how big and how fast this guy really is. You're talking about an elite level athlete. And for the Steelers to get him here in the middle of the second round, I think it just has tremendous value. He dominates when you watch his tape. I mean, he dominates the 50 50 balls with his size. He really uses it well. He shields smaller corners and safeties and just gets it and picks it out of the air. Just a big, fast, physical wide receiver. He's really good. He has really good top-end speed. He's not super quick, but when he gets going, this guy can really move and become a big-time vertical threat downfield for the Steelers. Now, I think his biggest flaw is he does need to work on his mechanics as far as getting in and out of his breaks. He's not the best in that regard. I think that's something with some NFL coaching he can work on. But the physical traits are definitely there, and he checks all the boxes. I mean, like I said, just a high-level athlete, maybe the most upside of any wide receiver in this class. I think he's really that special. He also had a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical. So you're talking about a guy who's 6'4", with that frame, who can jump over 40 inches is just incredible. 
He's also a great run blocker, which is a really undervalued thing for a wide receiver, especially for the Steelers who have always taken a lot of pride in being able to run the ball. They've always asked their wide receivers to be good blockers, and this guy checks the box. He was a productive player at Notre Dame, so it's not like they're just getting an athlete and hoping he can produce. This guy had over a 1,000 yards receiving with 13 touchdowns in 2019. Both were top 10 in the nation. So this is a guy who, like I said, has a ton of upside, just a big physical presence. He's going to add an immediate vertical threat to their game, something I think they were lacking last year. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster, really good wide receiver, but when they lost Antonio Brown, teams really targeted him, and he had a difficult season uh, trying to be the number one guy. Now, granted, he had some injuries and stuff as well, but I think Claypool is going to come in and immediately balance the wide receiver core. So in the third round, the Steelers took outside linebacker Alex Highsmith. He's six foot three, 248 pounds out of Charlotte. He ran a 4.7 40 yard dash. And this was a guy who was a highly productive player. He had 17 and a half tackles for a loss in 2018, which was a school record at Charlotte, and then broke his own record the following year with 21 and a half tackles for a loss. He really shows a nice burst. When you watch his tape, he just really gets in and out of his breaks really quickly. I mean, has really quick feet, excellent closing speed, and is just a really disruptive player. It just seems like when you watch the game tape, this guy is always in the backfield making plays. Now, he's a strong run defender, and he's also a good pass rusher. So he's got a lot of upside as far as that goes because they think that he could become an even better pass rusher than he is now. A very complete football player. He's got the ideal build and skill set for a 3-4 outside linebacker. And I think that's why this pick makes a lot of sense for the Steelers because they run that 3-4 scheme. They're always looking for these types of players. And when you run the 3-4 outside linebacker, it's a little different than your 4-3. It's, it's a different style of linebacker that you're looking for. This guy checks that box. He's got quick, strong hands. And he's a former walk-on with just an incredible work ethic. They say that nobody outworks this guy on his football team. I'm sure the Steelers loved that about him. He also has a variety of pass rush moves. So he's not a guy who just relies on his athletic ability. He's a very polished player coming in, very instinctive. You know, he reads and reacts to the play very quickly. Now, the questions on him is that he did dominate a lesser competition at Charlotte. You know, there's been a lot of small school guys that come in and make a big impact in the NFL. So it's not that I don't think he can, but it's always a question mark when you're playing against lesser competition for sure. And he does need to get stronger. You know, that's something that I think when he gets into an NFL weight room, he'll be able to do that. So I really like this pick by the Steelers in the third round. I think he flew a little bit under the radar, but I think he's a guy who just really fits their system perfectly. If you look at the Steelers' fourth round pick, Anthony McFarland Jr., a running back out of Maryland. I, I also liked this pick by them because it adds some depth at the running back position, place where they had a lot of injuries last year. And this kid has a nice burst. He's a physical runner, you know, a tough kid, over 200 pounds, you know, kind of fits their MO. So I really like what the Steelers did in this draft. I thought in typical Steeler fashion, 
They just found the guys, you know, let the draft come to them, found the guys that fit their system, fit their needs, and uh, just really did a nice job with it. And that's why I'm giving the Steelers a B plus. Brad, I think that's a great grade for them. And I'm telling you right now, if Big Ben stays healthy, they may even bring Cam in as a backup. I mean, there's some rumblings about where Cam's going to go. And you get a healthy full roster. I mean, they were Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges last year at quarterback. You bring in Claypool, who you spoke so highly of. You give him that compliment to the other side of Juju because Juju's a number one guy, but he's not a true number one. And he struggled last year trying to be that guy that was the difference maker. And does he have upside? Yes. Put Claypool on the other side. Put James Washington in the slot. Deontay Johnson in the slot. I think this was a supremely solid pick for them. Take into account the Mika situation that you talked about. And then add McFarlane in the fourth. I don't know if Jalen Samuels is going to fit into that for them for the future. You got Benny Snell, Connors, never been able to stay healthy as well. Then they saw that at the end of the year. They said, we've got to draft depth because they were hurt at the end of the year because they had no depth on the roster. And so I think Pittsburgh addressed everything. And and write this down, mark my words, I think come uh, December, the Pittsburgh Steelers will be a team to be reckoned with in the AFC North and in the AFC in general. But when it comes to giving the best grade in this division, uh, there's not even an argument. There's not even a discussion that it goes to the Baltimore Ravens. I think clearly the Baltimore Ravens had probably without question one of the top two or three drafts of every team and with this draft uh, I give the Ravens an A plus I mean there's just really no way to explain it other than just true Baltimore Raven we're going to let the draft come to us they've done this before they did it last year with Lamar Jackson two years ago I mean so it's like they, they this they're notorious for this and they sit right here and watch this thing unfold any scenario that they had on the draft board there's no way they had Patrick Queen sitting there that he would be available to them at 28 in our mock draft we had the Ravens taking a linebacker we just thought Patrick Queen would be off the board and it and we went with Zach Bond who we thought was a solid linebacker but Patrick Queen was my number one ranked linebacker I know he was your number one ranked linebacker Kenneth Murray was a great fit at 23 but I mean I just don't see how you can say, okay, we're going to pass up on Patrick Queen. Yes, it's a couple of the knocks on him. He's a one-year starter. So it's kind of like, ah, is, is there upside? Or, is, I mean, is is it can he, can he benefit from with all the big boys in the trenches up front? I say no. When you watch this guy and you watch the tape and you watch how he goes side to side and just destroys people, he gets ahead of the block. He beats people to the gap. He runs a 4-5-40. He's got speed. He's got power. He never takes a playoff. Just you watch him. He looks like he's just got that football IQ that you want. And you pair him up in that defense where you got that strength up front. You got Calais Campbell there now. You got Earl Thomas and people in the back end. Patrick Queen gives you that middle that they need in that rough and tough AFC North where a lot of teams are going to try to run the football, cold weather football. That kid is going to be there. And so I think this is an absolute steal and an absolute gift for the Ravens to have him fall to them at 28. And then really a shocker to me, I had him ranked as the number one running back on my board, I thought he was better than DeAndre, DeAndre Swift. In the second round, all the way with the 55th pick in the second round, Baltimore again waited in true Baltimore fashion and had J.K. Dobbins fall to them in the second round. Surprisingly, almost shocking to me, he was the fifth 
running back that came off the board, Brad. And I don't think there's any scenario where you look at, even with Kansas City sliding up into the end of round one and taking Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 32, DeAndre Swift came off the board. Taylor came off the board. Cam Akers went to the Rams off the board. They just got rid of Gurley. Why you would not take a J.K. Dobbins there is beyond me. The Ravens, super smart pick. I don't care if they've got Mark Ingram. They've had Gus Edwards, and they drafted Justice Hill. Justice Hill had some time to prove something last year, and he didn't really step up. Gus Edwards is a nice plug-and-play, give you a couple of um, good runs here and there. I think Baltimore got exposed a little bit last year when Mark Ingram got hurt, and it clearly made that run-pass option, that RPO with Jackson, that made him so powerful and so hard to determine what they were going to do. It really neutralized them. And so Baltimore's like, we've got to go get another running back. And when a J.K. Dobbins is sitting there at – 55, you 100% have to take him. So then they followed that up and then was able to come in and get Duvarney in round three from Texas and then down into the sixth round get Proche, I mean, from SMU. Two solid, solid wide receivers. I mean, this is plug and place. This is just giving Lamar Jackson more weapons. And then on top of that, they also went and got really great, solid defensive help on the front lines and in the middle with Queen, a linebacker, and then on the back end. And so when you look at it collectively and you look at what the Ravens were able to do without having to give up any draft capital, make any trades up to go get a guy, just again, like we said, let the draft come to them. Let everything fall right to them in their lap. When you come out of round one with Patrick Queen, who people, I mean, without question, had being top 15, top 20, you had him going in our mock draft at 19. And to get J.K. Dobbins, the fifth running back to come off the board late in the second round, without question, you have to give the Ravens an A-plus here with this draft. They're in my top three. They're, I mean, one of the top three drafts for this entire draft class when you look at what they did round one all the way through round seven. Are they going to be a force to be reckoned with this year? I think you could conceivably see Baltimore, if, if Jackson can overcome the playoff kind of bugaboo two years in a row now with Chargers and the Titans this year. I think you definitely could see the Ravens and the Chiefs in an AFC championship matchup and winner goes to the Super Bowl. So I, I got the Ravens at an A-plus, Brad. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. I think you hit it on the head with the Ravens. This is a team – you know, like the Steelers, if when you look at this division, these are two teams that historically draft well. They're two teams that generally don't make a lot of moves as far as moving up and trying to grab players. They don't panic. They just let the draft come to them. They find their guys. You know, these are two programs that know who they are. They have an identity. They have a style of player that they want at each position, and they, and they wait for those players to come to them. And the Ravens just hit it out of the park. Like you said, to get a guy like Patrick Queen that late in the first round, a guy who I think had top 20 potential, I think he has probably some of the most uh, upside of any linebacker in this class. A guy who's such a sure tackler, his read and react quickness is off the charts. I mean, when he, when the Baltimore grabbed him, I just thought that's so uh, that's such a Ravens pick. You know, a team that just hits that linebacker position out of the park every time it seems like. And then for them to grab him that late was such a good value pick. J.K. Dobbins, you hit it on the head with him as well. You know, he's a guy, like you said, I had him number one. You had him number one as far as running backs. I cannot believe he fell to them as the fifth running back taken. This guy is a complete player. I mean, you know, you look at Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor is not nearly as good of a pass blocker. He's not nearly as good at catching the football 
as J.K. Dobbins is. Neither is DeAndre Swift. You know, J.K. Dobbins is just a complete running back who's going to come in and add value right away. And I just could not believe that they got him where they got him. You also talked about some of their later picks. It just seemed like every one of their picks made total sense. And yeah, I, I think they had one of the best drafts in, in the entire NFL this year. And it'll be interesting as we go through these divisions to kind of see where they stack up because we're going to do a deep dive and go through each one of these divisions and, and grade all the teams. But yeah, Pittsburgh and Baltimore definitely tops in this division. Uh, Browns had a nice showing. I thought Bengals, like we talked about, was kind of average. Hopefully, you know, for them, they got their franchise guy. So that definitely helps. But yeah, that's going to do it for today's show. And be sure to check out next week as we break down the NFC North draft. And we're going to grade each team in that division and do it all over again. So definitely check that out. Chad, I'm sure you'll be joining me for that one again. And I appreciate you coming on the show today. And uh, we will catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.